What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Dr. Psych Mom Show. Today, I am going to be talking about hysterical bonding, and this was by a request from a Facebook group member. So if you uh, want to have my ear for more requests, then you can um, certainly join the Facebook group because I interact in there a lot and uh, I take suggestions there, which, whereas I get lots of suggestions bombarded in my inbox all the time, so I cannot take all of those. Um, anyway, so before that, please do subscribe. If you are a subscriber, you have 124 more episodes, more by the time you hear this, I believe, and um, you you get all these extra ones like oral sex on women, and that's the only one people care about, but it's 125 more, so that's lots and lots of hours, 30 plus hours of listening. Okay, so hysterical bonding, what is it? So it's a term that means when there's a threat to the relationship and somebody feels like they're going to get abandoned, if the lower libido partner feels they're going to get abandoned, then frequently they ramp up the sex. And why does this happen? Uh, it's not a, it's, it's not conscious. I mean, it's semi-conscious. It's like, oh shit, kind of uh, this person was really unhappy about the amount of sex we're having and I really want to keep them. But so there is that, of course. But it's like anything. It's like the honeymoon stage. So it's a very different biological stage. You just got cheated on or your parents, not your parent, <laughs> or your <laughs> partner said that they want a divorce. Or sometimes your own affair got found out, but more frequently, this is the low libido partner. She's not having any affairs, uh, but the husband did. And for some reason, shockingly to him, they're actually having more sex when his affair is found out than in all the years previous, you know, after the honeymoon stage. It's like a second honeymoon. Why? Isn't she supposed to be super mad at him? She's been saying for all these years that like emotion is linked to sex and if she doesn't feel close to him, then, you know, she can't have sex with him. So is all that just garbage and it's just, you know, we should really just inspire dread in women like the manosphere tells us? Obviously not. So hysterical bonding lasts for a few weeks. It's like this manic phase out of desperation. Um, the person just does feel spontaneous desire again. They're not faking it. It's the same as when they feel drunk on new love in the honeymoon stage. And this is something that like an evolutionary imperative, you feel just biologically driven to mate guard. I've discussed mate guarding before. That happens in all mammals. Uh, when you feel like your your partner, your mate is going to be taken away, then you guard them, you know, and this is a, an implicit sort of biological thing, but it doesn't last forever, you know. So particularly in the wake of infidelity, after a few weeks, uh, the woman's usually like, what the fuck? Like, why am I sleeping with this guy that hurt me, that cheated on me? Or even if he didn't cheat, that wanted to leave me? What about all of the empathic ruptures that we've had? You know, uh, what about all of that? So this is only very, very, very temporary spike in the woman's sex drive. It goes along with this feeling of urgency and desperation. She's not eating. She's not sleeping. And so she, and she acts very different. She feels like in an altered state. That's how people report the early stages of betrayal trauma. It's like you're on drugs or something. 
you know, and so she she may well, because she's older now, experience sex in a different way. She may be open to things that she wasn't even open to in the original honeymoon stage. Some of it is to keep his interest and may even be conscious, but most of it is unconscious. And when the women come into therapy, they're like, I don't know, I just feel attracted to him again. Because remember, this is a time where people come into therapy a lot because either divorce was threatened and or infidelity was uncovered. So what happens is, and it's interesting, there's a little um, version of this that happens before couples counseling. Because if the uh, lower libido partner was not the initiator of the couples counseling and the dissatisfied higher libido partner was, then the lower libido partner takes it as a threat you know, to this, to the relationship. So frequently people will come in, they'll email me like, oh my God, everything's terrible. We haven't had sex in months or years, or we do, and it's awful and whatever. And I'll schedule them. And by the time I get them in, which is never very long, like a week, I really try to get people in quick. And uh, they say, oh, we had uh, sex twice last week, actually. So why? Because the lower libido partner felt, um, you know, that there was a threat. Couples counseling is a serious thing. You don't go to couples counseling if you're happy, you know, so their body responded almost as though it was, a, uh, you know, they had found out about an affair or a threat of divorce, right? Because they feel like, uh-oh, if he's getting us into couples counseling, he means business and like the body like and brain activate to mate guard, you know, um, to and, and also they don't want me to say subconsciously, they don't want me to say that they are a bad partner in some way. Of course, I don't ever call anybody a bad partner, you know, but like people don't know what couples counseling is. So they don't want me to say something that makes the guy more likely to divorce them. So it is, it feels almost like a threat. And there's like this response, like similar to that. So anyway, um, hysterical bonding, it, it can be, if you stay together, then the sex that you're having during hysterical bonding, which is often kind of the wilder, more open sex comparatively, you know, uh, maybe even the wildest, most open sex that the couple has had. Because remember, in this situation, they haven't really been having sex or good sex for years. And back in the honeymoon stage, they were young. The woman didn't really understand her body. She didn't have any confidence. And now she don't give a shit. She's laying it all on the table because she feels like her marriage is... is like literally about to crumble and she still cares about that in this phase and feels like she can't live without this guy. Again, this is temporary. And so they may be having the craziest sex in years. So if they do end up staying together, then it can be, um, you know, a, a learning moment, you know, for both of them that they can have passionate sex. Of course, they will not continue ever to have the hysterical bonding sex. That is different. That's like honeymoon stage. That is a biological thing. That's like saying, can we have drunk sex when we're sober? Can we have vacation sex when we're at home? No, you can't. Can you um, have a baby when you have a five-year-old? Can you have a five-year-old when you have a 15-year-old? No, you can't have those things. Those, those are different phases of life, right? So people have to kind of accept that, as I discussed so many times, including in my article or my, my podcast, Age is Not Just a Number. So the hysterical bonding phase lasts for about a few weeks, you know, and at that point, the woman comes down from her high and she's like, what the fuck? You know, you were an asshole to me in this and this and this ways. Yeah, maybe I wasn't so great to you either, as you've pointed out. But either way, it's not just going to be like this. This is crazy. We're burying all of the issues. We have to work on our relationship. 
And at this point, they're having sex. She's just kind of realized that she hasn't worked on stuff um, or that they haven't worked on stuff. This is the time to be in counseling, right? Because he's finally getting the sex that he wants. And, you know, in some instances, it's the guy that does hysterical bonding if his higher libido wife cheated or threatens divorce. That can happen too. But again, most of the time, the man is a higher libido partner. So that's what I'm discussing here. But you could just always flip the genders. You don't ever have to email me about how, you know, your husband doesn't want to sleep with you. I know. I mean, you could email me if you want therapy about that. Sure. But, you know, you can always just flip the genders. I understand there's higher libido women, about 20%, whereas the higher libido men are about 80% in couples. So, you know, that's, I go by majority and what most people, you know, what most people's situation is so that it, most people, uh, so that the most people can feel heard and understood, right, by the podcast. But anyway, so the point being, this is a good time to really work on all aspects of the marriage because you're super motivated. The guy is having sex for the first time in a long time, um, and the woman is also reclaiming her sexuality, although in this manic, pressured kind of way. And now, if he really wants to stay in the relationship, he's got to work on the emotional piece in counseling, resolve the empathic ruptures, etc. Because the stupidest thing that he could do, and unfortunately a common thing that men do, is say, oh my God, she's cured. You know, it was right. I, You know, all those things I read in the manosphere were right. All I ever had to do was inspire some dread that I might leave and make her insecure and throw her off balance. And, and you know, and, and it was all bullshit that we need an emotional connection for sex. Check it out. I just fucked around and, and she's having the most sex she's had with me for years. So obviously we didn't need any of that security or emotional safety or any of that bullshit that she was telling me because check it out now, you know? And then like literally the next week she stops. <laughs> because of course, if, you're, if your wife is even remotely a healthy, emo- emotionally healthy woman with even an iota of self-esteem, then of course she wants to be emotionally close to her sexual partner within marriage, you know, to like, like, yeah, like women can have one night stands and so can men. But when you're married, uh, you know, people, both genders really tend to want to feel close and connected to somebody that they're sleeping with, their spouse. So it isn't bullshit. It isn't garbage that she wants to feel emotionally close to you. It's just like her body responded like to an attack. It would be like, you know, think about it like this. So what if a car, you know, fell on your kid? You know, these situations you read about in the newspaper. And then with a burst of adrenaline, your wife, like a mighty mama bear, you know, picked the car up off of your your child and, and pulled them out, right? Would you expect her to be able to do that like every day? Like as part of CrossFit or something? Like, you know, like just every day just fucking lift up a car? No. You know, her adrenaline is pumping to a point that she's probably going to be like in bed for three weeks after that event happens, you know, but she can do it because it's an emergency. And that's like how her body and brain are responding to the attack on the marriage, you know? And she's thinking at that point, almost like, I can't live without him. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. But believe me, she ain't going to think like that forever. She didn't think it before. You know, the the whole time she wasn't sleeping with you, she didn't think it. And she's not going to think it again. And it's the same thing if you invert the genders. You know, like people act in this manic, crazy, desperate way if they feel like the relationship is is 
you know, is going away and they feel abandoned and this is like a normal mammal impulse to keep your partner or your group close. But then people like they, their objectivity comes back and they're like, hmm, you know, is this relationship really worth saving? Yeah, we're doing a lot of sex now. He seems happy. Boy, is he a shallow motherfucker. You know, we're, I guess that's all he thinks it takes to keep me, even though he cheated or even though he told me that we were going to get divorced and blah, blah, blah. So that's the point at which if you really want to use the hysterical bonding phase for, you know, most effectively to help the marriage, you know, you would at this point begin also to address whatever the wife's emotional issues have been over the years, which were real. Just because she'll have crazy sex with you for like up to a couple months, some people it's a couple months, especially if like she keeps uncovering other bad shit that the guy did, like in terms of cheating, then the hysterical bonding lasts basically until, you know, a few weeks after she's uncovered the, the, the last of it. With some women, I mean, some women will just leave the guy, you know, but some women that have small kids or, you know, a longer history together or lower self-esteem or whatever the case may be, or they love the guy more, who knows, they will stay and be in this hysterical bonding phase after betrayal. So anyway, what's the TLDR? What's the takeaway on this one? Hysterical bonding is something you should never try to promote, as uh, I wrote about in, or I discussed in my podcast on Inspiring Dread, this is manipulative, unethical, um, and healthy women will not respond to it when there is an existential threat to the marriage or to, to, to you know, your child's life. In the case of the car, people will respond with a jolt of adrenaline and basically mania, and they will act in ways that are antithetical to how they previously acted. If you want any change to come and any sexual awakening to actually transpire and have any sort of um, consequence. So, yeah, like like let's say like uh, you you cheated on your wife. Let's say I'll do, people love examples, right? Ten years of a sexless marriage. You have sex like ten times a year. And finally, like you reach your breaking point and you get drunk. You go out and some woman offers you a blowjob by the grace of God and you do it. And then you feel like trash and the next day you come home and you confide to your wife and you cry and you say, I feel terrible about myself. This isn't the man that I want to be. I feel just so desperate and lonely and frustrated in this situation and you don't take me seriously that sex is a need. And so I did this disgusting thing and I feel terrible. I never should have done it. I just feel like we're not our best selves in this marriage. There's nowhere to go from here. So I really think we should get divorced, right? And so your wife is like, whoa, like massively taken aback. She did not realize the gravity of the situation, as many women do not um, in that situation, which is like basically what most of my blog and podcast is about, is explaining men and women to each other. And as I have discussed innumerable times, women do not understand how much men uh, think of being married as being sexual with your wife. Like that's just like synonymous, et cetera, et cetera. So she has this grand awakening and she gives you a blowjob. Well, shit, I got two blowjobs in two days. You're like fucking flying. This is a, what is this, a dream, you know? And then not only that, but you have sex again, like to the next day, which she's not done since she was 22. And then the day after that and blah, blah. And you think, holy shit, I finally got through to her. Now she's she's having her sexual awakening. She's also having orgasms. Everything is groovy. Yeah, until she basically comes back to earth and she's like, 
wait a second, you did what? And did I even get tested for STDs? And did like, and, and who was that woman? And does she know that you're married? And you did what? Where? And let me see your phone. And is she still texting you now? And why did you think that that would be something that you should do? You should have just told us to go to counseling. You should have even just asked for a divorce. But what you shouldn't have done is put your penis in that skank's mouth, right? Etc. Etc. And then that's when people call for couples counseling. And so at this moment, yeah, she had a big epiphany that she could like giving you a blowjob, you know, cool. And she ain't ever going to do it again unless you apologize, at, you know, like forever, not forever, like for a year. <laughs> and you really work on whatever her problems were with you, which you're not a perfect person either, even aside from the incident that transpired, right? And I'll remember all my stuff is hypothetical, but it is an amalgam of many things that have happened to many people. And so the reality is that couple could, a year out with work, become people whose narrative is as follows. We had a sexless marriage in the past. We really didn't understand each other at all. We were talking past each other. There were many empathic ruptures. It culminated in a really disgusting incident of infidelity that he regrets. I have forgiven him for this in light of how much he worked on our marriage in the wake of this discovery. Of course, he even brought it to me. What a good guy. Uh, you know, as good as you could be in that situation. And after that, we've really worked on our sex life and our connection. And we're even stronger now than ever before, right? So that's possible. That's the dream. Esther Perel writes about the idea of, quote, marriage 2.0 in her book, The State of Affairs, such that, you know, you can't ever go back to the marriage before the infidelity, but after the infidelity, you could create another marriage that's even better and stronger because you've understood each other better due to this calamity that transpired, e.g. the infidelity. Okay, so hopefully you guys uh, got something out of this. And it's something to think about. And I will talk to y'all soon. Have a great day.